it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, so welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 155. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to take a moment and answer some listener questions. We got some great questions recently, and we thought we would take a few minutes. Who are we kidding? It's going to be longer than a few minutes and uh, answer some of those questions for you guys. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Andrew. He's going to go ahead and read our first question to us. So Andrew, why don't you go ahead and take us away, big guy? Yeah, let's do it. So this one is from Alex. He says, I have a question about insider trading metrics. Several websites keep track of insider trading, not the illegal kind. (laughs) And I was wondering what you thought about this qualitative metric. Is there any data showing insider trading as being indicative, indicative of a stock's future performance or anything you've noticed from your personal experience. So Dave, I know you just wrote a blog post about this coincidentally. So you'd be the man to answer this one. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. So, uh, Alex, yeah, that's a great question. So there is no specific metric that I'm aware of that will tell you that this is a bonus for the company to drastically improve their stock uh, performance because insiders are trading on the company. 
Uh, generally, if you see a insider, when we're talking about, uh, let's back up for just a second. So insiders, what are insiders? Insiders are considered any sort of management that's involved in the company. Most people think of more of the upper level management, like a CEO, CFO, COOs, people of that nature, like the, the C-suite kind of people. But it also does involve uh, district managers, uh, vice presidents, lower level managers of that ilk. So anybody that has a substantial amount of wealth tied up in the company as part of shares that they get for compensation for working for the company. So it doesn't really, it, it doesn't correlate to, let's say a private banker or a banker that works at Wells Fargo that's investing his 401k in the company. It's not that. It's more about the stock options that are given to an employee as a form of compensation or pay for the employee. So when they exercise those options, that's considered insider trading. Uh, they call it insider trading because they're insiders. They work for the company. Now, the SEC takes this very seriously. There's a form called uh, the Form 4. It's an SEC filing. And the SEC takes this extremely seriously uh, in the fact that insider trading, as Alex is mentioning, uh, has a history of kind of being on a little bit on the shady side. Uh, back in the day before the SEC started taking I guess paying attention to this, there was, there would be people that would use their insider information if they knew that there was going to be some sort of, let's say product that would come out that would revolutionize some particular industry. Though that particular person could use their advantage to try to profit from that. And so the SEC created this uh, form four that insiders have to file whenever they buy or sell any of their shares. So what he's referring to is when these, there's uh, several websites out there, including Google Focus, uh, Whale Wisdom, uh, a couple other ones that I'm blanking on the names of right Finviz now is great that track that. these. Yeah, Finviz, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Finviz is great for it as well. They track these, these kinds of trades. Now, a lot of the trades are, I don't want to say, not nonsense, but they aren't really consequential. Uh, there are going to be a fair amount of trades where you see people that will be selling their shares uh, for, for example, maybe buying a house or putting a kid through college, or maybe they need to pay some taxes. So you'll see a fairly regularly, you'll see turnover of those shares just because those people are trying to use that money for, for personal things. Whenever you see an insider buying shares of the company, that is a very, very good sign because that means that they think that the company is undervalued and that is going to grow in value. Now, you can't really infer specifically that there is something that, you know, hey, there's some great thing coming on board. It just could be that there is something about the company that's going on that that they feel really bullish about. And especially if you see it in lower level management, if you see the CEO of him buying shares of the company, that's great, of course, but it's not as telling as if you see some mid-level manager, in essence, investing all of his worth into the company. That would be a very, very bullish sign to do uh, because if I was to invest in Andrew and I put all my money in Andrew, I'm really banking on Andrew is going to really make me a lot of money. So 
when you're talking about insider trading, that's really kind of what he, what Alex is referring to. And the best thing that I would recommend you do is use these websites that I was talking about to help you track the insider trading that happens with a lot of these companies. And if you see people that are starting to load up on shares of the company that they work for, that is an extremely bullish sign that there's something either they believe that the company is going to bounce back. For example, with everything that happened with the market crashing a couple months ago, and now it's already bounced back. If you'd look back at the last couple months I bet you would see, I know I saw a lot more insider trading, a lot of more insider buying of those companies during that time period than you probably saw over the last year or two, just because there wasn't much, as much fluidity and a lot of, uh, there wasn't as much, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Volatility as there was just recently. And so that sparked a lot of people buying a lot of the shares of their own company. So there isn't any real metric per se that I'm aware of. Uh, so that would kind of be my answer to that. Yeah, I um, read through your post that's going live. It should be live by the time this episode is live as well. Uh, you, you broke down the form four and made it real simple for people who who aren't aware of it and something that I like that I took out of it funny because I just happened to be researching some stocks today and I noticed on Finviz as I scrolled down that there was some what seemed significant insider buying so so I wanted to look more into it I was like oh I know Dave wrote about this um, and so I like what you said about try to Try to take apples to apples when you're looking at how much a particular person is 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 buying. So speaking to you know if if a middle manager, I think you used um, like a a pretty good example of uh, let's say a certain level a person is buying what would equate to their entire salary, then that 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 would be indicative of somebody who's really loading up. Um, another thing you can do, because I wanted to see, because the company I was looking at, their CEO, it looked like he was buying a lot. It was uh, blocks of hundreds of thousands of dollars at a time. I wanted to look at his compensation. So if you look at a company 10K and you do some sleuthing in there, you can look and see how much the CEO is getting per year. And so when I, when I saw, I kind of got disappointed because I was like, oh, this guy makes like four million dollars a year <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know how bullish you know four hundred thousand dollars of stock is I, I guess i'd have to see what his budget looks like if that's if that's a a big investment for him so i think you know part of that too is try to put some context on the numbers and see you know just because the numbers seem like a lot do you think they really are a lot because i you know i think i think any good ceo should put some of his own money in his own company but if he's really really loading up then you should be able to spot that and that can be a really good bullish signal yep i totally agree all right let's move on to the next question so hi andrew uh i love everything you and dave are doing to educate individuals who don't know where to begin uh, one question i have is if circumstances are similar between two companies of the same industry uh, VTI is strong buy, strong dividend growth, earnings growth, both either aristocrats or not. They have a strong management. Uh, is it wise to invest in both? For random examples that doesn't apply to investing in both Coke slash Pepsi, Apple slash Microsoft, GM slash Ford, etc. Thanks and keep it up, Brian. So, Andrew, what are your thoughts on that? 
I mean, how much time you got? I could go all day. (laughs) (sighs) I really like this question. Obviously, everybody has their own opinion on it. And a person like Warren Buffett recently loaded up on a bunch of airline stocks. You know, he didn't just buy one, he bought a bunch and then had to sell it because of coronavirus. So, you know, it's not like this brand new concept. There's a lot of investors who have been doing that and a lot of investors who do do that where they don't want to pick an obvious winner. And so they just buy the sector. I think there can be a lot of good that comes out of something like that. I'll give a a more recent example. So for my last issue of the e-letter for June, I had what I consider the pretty substantial macroeconomic trend, which is something I don't tend to usually invest based off of. Um, however, with all the crazy economic developments that have been going on, I found what I, what I believe to be something that's really being overlooked and almost, almost not so much like a secular trend or, or a changing in, in consumer habits, but maybe more so a difference between perception and reality and and that plays out in certain industries with the stock prices and and kind of the relative health of those industries. And so I saw an industry where I felt like you could in my mind it'd be like shooting fish in a barrel. You could pick any one of these and it will probably do very very well. But what I ended up doing was they actually almost all of the stocks I looked at in that industry did have a VTI strong buy. Um, that's that's one of the tools I use when I'm a, when I'm evaluating a stock, and so you know from all the the numbers point of view, it all looked good. And so for this particular situation, I went a little bit deeper. I looked at the cash flow situations, and I looked at the obligation situations. And Dave, we talked a little bit about this offline, and we've mentioned it on the podcast too. But you know, if you have a time of uncertainty like the coronavirus. A lot of companies are shoring up a lot of liquidity, trying to really prepare their balance sheets and trying to just have as much cash on hand as they can have, understanding that there's going to be slowdowns for some businesses and potentially periods where revenue is, is can get dried up. And so when you look at companies and you look at the 10K, you can see breakdowns on on when certain things are due. So if it's a retailer and you know um, let's say a retailer has 100 stores, they might have to make, let's say, $400 million in lease payments. And let's say it's $2 billion over um, the next 10 years. Well, inside the 10K, they're going to lay out that, hey, we need to do $400 million um, in the next 12 months towards lease payments. And then for the next three to five years, let's say we got to do another $600 million. And so that's really laid out. And then it also gets laid out for other significant outlays like debt obligations. If you have some long-term debt, they need to pay off and you know what the timeline is for that. So in this environment, as we record this in June of 2020 with... Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. 
It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. As much uncertainty as we've seen in recent years, um, I'm definitely looking at that. I'm looking at what is what is the runway for powering through a potentially difficult time. And so if I had the the choice between one business versus the other, and you know, maybe one has to make all these payments up front. So I think they might struggle a little bit more than another one who is, you know, more financially prepared and or has less to worry about in the short term. I also looked at cash flows. I looked at how much do these companies tend to invest in capital expenditures and how much do they tend to need to pay year after year after year in order to sustain their business. Lots of different things to look at. And I guess what you probably don't want to hear is I think it's really going to depend on every situation that you're looking at. So in my situation, I had an industry I knew I wanted to to, uh, invest in. At the same time, there were a lot of small competitors and there wasn't, I mean, there is a leader, but there wasn't one who is a dominant leader of this industry and there were there's just a good chunk of them say 5 6 7 where they're all of a decent size and they seem like they all could reasonably take market share from the other um and so you know something like that where a lot of those things are level i think looking at numbers in the way i was made a lot of sense there now if you maybe take that approach and you look at a completely different industry. Let's say you were looking at, I don't know, active apparel and and you have big names like Nike, 
uh, Lululemon, things like that, where you know, where wearing sweatpants and tights is cool. Then I don't think you would necessarily compare competitors in the same way, and so you really have to take it on a case by case basis. That you know, what's the competitive advantage in a certain industry? Does being the number one most dominant player in that industry, do you think that could lead to success? Or, or you know, in certain situations, that answer might be yes. In certain situations, that answer might be no. Um, something like a Coke and a Pepsi. I know he he mentioned he he didn't want me to answer about Coke and Pepsi, but um, historically, when Coke dominated over Pepsi, they were a wildly fantastic investment. You can just ask Warren Buffett how how fantastic that investment was. And so in that situation, dominance in that in that industry in that time period meant really great things for those investors. And then, you know, he also mentioned GM Ford. I, I don't know if you can really say if there was a dominant leader there. And so if you're trying to find a player that might have done better than another then maybe you're looking at something other than brand leadership. So that's the way I see it is that there's no perfect answer, but there's a lot of ways you can kind of think about it. And and then, you know, the other thing I didn't even mention is you, you totally could just buy a group of the big stocks in a certain industry and just play that industry and that can do fine as well. So, I mean, for me, I'm... T- most a large majority of the time i'm trying to pick who i perceive to be the better investment and i'm going with that i haven't up to yet really been in a situation where i couldn't decide between one or the other but i could see it happening in the future and and maybe sometimes that is the right way to go if if there's not one clear leader or one clear better investment out of um a group that you're looking at. Hey you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. I think that's a that's a great answer and something else that I'd like to tag on about Andrew's process that he was talking about. He and I talked a little bit about this earlier and he mentioned to me that he had taken a spreadsheet and kind of lined up all those companies and then kind of analyzed all the different metrics that he was talking about and some of the numbers so that he could put them all together so that they could see how they kind of all lined up. So it would help him make a, a better choice because sometimes when you look at a return on equity, for example, of a company, it does if you're looking at similar industries, like if you're looking at the return on equity for Coke versus Pepsi, hopefully they're going to be, they're in the same industry. So it would be apples to apples in a sense, but it's also good to look at, to kind of line things up and, and do a comparison because then some things start to pop out at you. If you're just looking at a couple of numbers and trying to use that to help you make an assessment, it can get a little muddy Sometimes when you're doing that, because you think about Apple or Microsoft or GM or Ford or Coke or Pepsi, those are all great examples. You think about the the style of businesses that they're in. And although they may, they're in roughly the same industry, you could argue that they don't necessarily do the same kinds of things. Uh, Apple and Microsoft, for example, I, for me, to me, I, I think of Apple more as the iPhone, whereas I think of Microsoft more as the cloud 
type software. And so I don't think they necessarily compete, even though a lot of people like to put them up against each other and maybe they do compete and I'm just, you know, ignorant, which is entirely possible, but Coke and Pepsi to me is similar in that they don't necessarily compete, but they do. And obviously the beverage part of it is a big deal, but Pepsi is kind of, diversified themselves a little bit away and have, have gone a snack route and they offer food where I don't believe Coke really has gone down that path. And so just by doing those, some of those simple comparisons, you can help maybe help yourself divide and conquer a little bit. But like Andrew said, there's nothing wrong with investing in both of them. If you think they're both great companies and you think that there's a possibility that they over the long term can be, can make you money, then by all means slice and dice and do what you need to do uh, with the advent of the ability of being able to buy partial shares of companies. Now I know the fidelity and ally and Schwab are offering that ability I believe Ally is. Ally is? I know no. Schwab and, and Fidelity are. So Ally does not yet? Why would they? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah, good point. Good point. <clears throat> All right. I digress. But uh, Fidelity and Schwab both offer the ability to buy partial shares. So if you were really torn by these companies and you had a limited amount of money, they're they're at least with those two platforms, there is nothing that would prevent you from being able to buy at least partial shares of both of those companies. And that would be a, a nice way for you to maybe even do a comparison, uh, financially just, just to see how that they are, how they you know, perform in your own portfolio. So I think that's a great question, Brian. And uh, I really like that. So thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, I liked it too. Let me take us to the next one then. So okay. this one from Mike, he says, Hello, Andrew. I stumbled across your YouTube channel, found your content extremely helpful. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Uh, he talked about, now I found one particular video of yours, very interesting. It talks about Peter Lynch and his investing strategy. I already set out my Finviz scanner, just as you outlined in your video, and I have nine potential stock candidates. Now to my question, using Peter Lynch's investing strategy, do I believe he waited for a specific time? Oh, I'm sorry. He says, I do believe he waited for specific times. I don't believe he simply purchased the stocks that came up on his own scanning. Would you know how to further narrow the search? Any help would be appreciated. So I know, I guess, I, I know, I'm pretty sure Peter Lynch didn't actually do screens. What I tried to do in the video was um, make a screen that would kind of try to replicate some of Peter Lynch's ideas. I also know Peter Lynch had a lot of ideas, like uh, somebody who interviewed him had mentioned that he liked to talk a lot. And so maybe that's why we have so much advice from Peter Lynch just in general, because he liked to talk a lot. I guess if that was, if you were in, in those shoes, Dave, and you know, you had nine potential stock candidates from a screener, how would you know what to do from there? If, if you were trying to follow sort of the Peter Lynch type approach, I guess. Uh, well, I guess the first thing that I would probably do would be to run them through. Uh, Peter Lynch was the, I guess he wasn't necessarily the inventor, but he was the one that popularized a ratio called the PEG ratio, the peg ratio. And basically what that is, is it's a combination of a PE ratio and growth. And based on that simple 
ratio that he he uses, he was able to find companies that he felt like were undervalued but had potential to grow over a period of time. And that was one of his screeners. So I know that I would run that of those companies through that filter to see how those companies would stack up in that, in that way. And then I would just start working down through the checklist that I have as far as do I understand what those companies do? So I would take the nine companies and try to figure out what is it that they do. Uh, probably the next thing I would try to do is see if I feel like that they're undervalued and why are they undervalued? So if, you're running it through those screens. It's those are all pretty conservative type screens that are going to show that a company is probably not being valued fairly. So I guess the next question I would want to f- try to determine is this something that's a value trap? And obviously Andrew's VTI or his value trap indicator would be a fantastic tool. And I know that I would use that personally, but if that's not something you have the available, then it would be just assessing the sales for the company, looking at the company over a long period of time and just kind of doing an assessment on simple things like the revenues. Are they all increasing? Are they flat? Are they stagnant? Are they going down? Are the earnings flat, rising, going down? Just kind of, and you can, those are things you can easily see. You can go to the, one of our favorite websites, quickfs.net and that website will show you 10 years worth of numbers. And so just by doing that, you can see trends. So just by scanning through those companies, it would help you determine how those companies are doing. Not all nine are going to, are, are going to match up to your expectations. And there will be companies that will fall off as you're doing some of that. Uh, you're looking at their dividends, looking at the, the, the prices, looking at, Ratios like price to book, price to earnings, price to sale, all those kinds of things. And then just once you do that, trying to value the company, uh, if you want to use something online, you can easily do that. And then you, I guess, start making assessments on what you feel like is a good company. And other things you can do is ask people around you, do you use this company? Is this something you're aware of? Do you have any experience with this company and thinking about the things that they, that they sell? And a lot of those things will help you start to kind of narrow down, uh, the company and what, what it is they do and how they're doing. Is it undervalued? Is it a value trap? Is it a company that's lagging in earnings for a really long time? You know, those are all things that will start to become far more apparent to you once you get past kind of the initial screen of like, Hey, this could be a great company. And I'll give you an example. When I was, uh, doing my screening if several years ago, I came across GameStop, which turned out to be a bust for me. But as I look through it, I could see some of these trends that I was talking about. But because I quote unquote fell in love with the company, I chose to ignore some other signs that could have been potential problems, which turned out to be problems. And so that in turn caused me to make a bad choice. And I you know, I invested some money in a company and of course it went down (laughs) because that's just what it does. But uh, it was part of my screening process. But then as I started working through the company, I didn't, I I noticed a few things that I chose to ignore. So I guess my 
my recommendation would be to look at all those things I was suggesting, but then also make just a quick spreadsheet and put some of those things on the spreadsheet so you can physically see them or even just write it on a piece of paper if that, if, if, you know, Excel or Google Sheets is something you're not comfortable with. You could easily just write it down as well and just look at revenue over five years. Look at sales or I'm sorry, costs of goods sold. Look at earnings. Any of those kinds of things that we've talked about, all those things, even if you just do it for a short period of time, will help you see trends. And those will help you start to narrow them down. Because once you have the the grouping, then you you need to start kind of whittling it down to find the best options for you. And you're not always going to find five or six companies that you want to invest in right away. You may only find two and there's nothing wrong with that. So don't feel like you have to buy all of them just because they went through a screen and, and they look good to you initially. You need to do a little bit of extra due diligence, I guess. I love that answer. I think everybody should go back and listen to it again two more times. <laughs> I think I, I really I I do think that people will fall into one of two camps. I think they'll be in the camp that's super like into the screen, into the numbers, and I I for sure fall into that camp more often than not. And then the other camp is is more of um, you know how do I feel about this business and and where do I see it going based off more feelings than numbers. Mm-hmm. And what I find interesting, what I loved about Peter Lynch was he was a good blend of both, in my opinion. He talked about you know the importance of what he called the PEG ratio, the PE ratio, and adding in an element of growth. He talked about balance sheets. He he was definitely a numbers guy, but he also talked about how he would get some of his best stock ideas just like you said, Dave, just from talking to somebody randomly. He mentioned one story where his wife had gone shopping at this place and couldn't stop raving about it. And then it ended up being one of his better stock picks. And so I think when you fall in one of these camps, you need to really make the effort to kind of bridge that gap a little bit. And so if if you're running a screen and, and you really have a list of nine stocks where you feel that I think these numbers are really good, well, then Maybe you do just need to take some common sense thinking to it, and like Dave said, figure out what what, what does this company actually do, and and why will it continue to be successful? An example from my own case is, I I don't remember when it was. It, it wasn't too long ago. I bought a stock called Tiffany, and so all of the numbers were showing me that this this thing was was a great stock, and sometimes a good stock or a good company will trade sideways for quite a while. And so a lot of investors and Wall Street will tend to get really impatient with that, which is nice if you're a value investor, particularly if you're just stumbling across the company and realize how cheap it is now and you didn't have to hold it through all those horrible dark times. It's a great situation to be in. So with a company like Tiffany, it was very, very cheap. The numbers were very, very good. And I knew from just living life, how much status and prestige was around the Tiffany brand. And this is something that had been around, uh, been around for a very long time, just had this prestige around it. And so just based off of that and, and knowing that the jewelry seg- uh, industry is just very, very fragmented, extremely segmented out, and there, there wasn't really a clear leader, you, you could argue that Tiffany would be one of those. And so, you know, took the plunge 
And eventually another company saw the same value I did. And this is the Louis Vuitton company based overseas somewhere in Europe. And so they ended up putting an offer in for Tiffany. And you know, as we record this, the the offer is pending, but they promised to pay something like $130 a share. And I got in somewhere uh, 80 or 90, somewhere around there. So, you know, sometimes the when the numbers are good, you just need to figure out what's what's the big picture of the company and can you get behind it? Obviously, that's not going to be 100% slam dunk every single time. But when you're going through a screen, that should definitely be the first thing you do. And it shouldn't be the definitive thing from there. You've kind of got your work cut out for you, but it doesn't need to be this huge, long, extended process. I think if you're prudent and um, use some good principles that hopefully we teach throughout our episodes, staying long-term invested, being diversified, and trying to really pick good businesses that you think will last and, and there's good numerical reasons that kind of prove that, then you know you, you should do okay. That was a great answer too. You should go back and listen to that as well. <laughs> All right. Moving on to the next question. Andrew, uh, I've listened to every podcast you and Dave have put out, and I started over last night. This time around, I plan on focusing on the books and resources y'all recommend so I can gain even more knowledge. Y'all are the sole reason I've started investing along with a hunch that I need to think about a retirement. I'm 37, have two daughters, married, house, and two cars. I started with $500 in April, and I've added what I can when I can. As a restaurant employee, I dollar cost average $37.50 every Monday, but I also put any tips I make over $50 into the IRA. The IRA is sitting at $2,000 right now, and we have about $5,000 in assets spread across my wife's IRA, kids' education accounts, and a credit union savings account. My question is, I don't think I've heard you answer this specifically. If any of my stocks, uh, NUE, for example, makes negative earnings for the upcoming earnings report, but will have positive earnings for the whole year, do I sell? I know you're one of your hard and fast rule, sell rules, which has become one of my hard and fast rules, is not to hold a company with negative earnings. However, you are referring to the quarterly report, annual report, or both. I've sold several companies because I found negative earnings that slipped through the cracks on the quarterly reports, even though QuickFS showed positive earnings throughout the 10-year analysis. Your guidance on this will be huge for future stock acquisition slash sales. Thank you for everything y'all do, and I look forward to hearing the podcast next Thursday. John. Okay, so let me do a quick backstory just so people who aren't aware of my hard and fast rules. I have a rule that I sell any stock that has negative earnings. The reason behind is because it seems like way back in the day now, I did research and and just looked at basic financials from companies who went bankrupt and from the 2000 to, I think it was 2012, 2013 back then. And so I just wanted to see if I could find any trends. Sure enough, um, chances were that there was there was a greater majority of stocks that had negative earnings than positive earnings when they went bankrupt. And so I know like in hindsight, that sounds like, well, duh, common sense. If your company is losing money, it could go bankrupt. But I mean, you'd be surprised the the mental gymnastics that investors will go through to justify negative earnings, particularly when they don't understand the whole rest of the picture. 
Um, but bottom line, you know, when I see something like a lot of the stocks that went bankrupt in the past had negative earnings, then that helps me to formulate a rule that I'm not going to hold a company with negative earnings. And so that's why I have it. To, to answer the question specifically, um, when it comes to negative earnings, I'm talking about the annual report and not the quarterly report. And so, you know, from quarter to quarter, we, we've mentioned on the podcast before, the quarterly reports can sometimes be erratic. They're not always audited and they're not required to be audited. So you could have values that swing and just certain businesses could be more seasonal than others. You know, you could have a retailer again that really relies on back to school shopping. And even Warren Buffett said how their business sees candies for nine months out of the year, it it loses money, but for Valentine's Day, it really knocks it out of the park. So just, you know, the way some business models work, they're not going to necessarily turn a profit for every quarter. But, you know, if over the long term you're finding that this company is losing money, that's not a situation I want to be in. And, um, and so that's why I sell. And so if you're following my hard and fast rules, definitely wait for the annual report to come out. And once you see negative earnings and if, if you're following like I do, then you would sell at that point. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our conversation for this evening. I wanted to thank everybody for taking the time to send us those great questions. It's a lot of fun for us to answer those questions. And hopefully you guys got some good guidance and some good suggestions out of all of that. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.